Welcome to this edition of Human Ears. My name is Dan Pierce, a content strategist for Big Wide Sky. And yes, I am joined by a new person who hasn't been on the show before. Um, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Dan. My name is Eric Freedom. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Big Wide Sky. And as you can tell, I am new to Human Ears. He is new to Human Ears. Uh, first of all, um, we would like to wish uh, our former co-host and our good friend and compadre in Battle in Arms and all of that, uh, Jeremy Newlick, all of the best. Uh, he recently accepted a new position, and it's it, it's really exciting, and we're very happy for him and his family. And but it, in other respects, we're also um, looking forward toward the future with Eric and stuff like that. Like. It's, it's not about filling someone else's shoes, but wearing your own. And, and when it comes to podcasting and transitioning from different eras of an entity, especially such as Human Ears, which had previous iterations, and then Jeremy and I took it on, and now Eric and I are about to take it on and explore the culture and the working um, solutions that Big Wide Sky provides to its clients and stuff like that. Um, as well as the background and also just the laughs. It, it, it really is about the laughs. Like, let's be fair here, Eric. You and I have had many a laugh during the course of me working here within the last year. And I'm excited to do more of that. Well, thank you. I feel the same. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and, and with all of those sort of changes, you know, you're on board to sort of help the show evolve and change. And as the show becomes something new as a result, I, I sort of see it similarly to, you know, what we do to big wide or at big wide sky for our clients. You know, we provide them something new, something that they don't necessarily realize that they need and that their company needs, um, providing solutions, to problems that they may not even know exist in their company. Um, you know, Going off of that, what would you say during your time at Big Wide Sky is something that you know you've run into where a company didn't know that a problem existed and you were able to provide some sort of solution? Well, um, you know we have a number of I think we have a number of examples, but one of the ones that we reference most often is a client that came to us and asked for a website. And then we started asking the questions about uh, why do you need the website? What's motivating you? Who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to accomplish? And so on. Uh, through a series of conversations, we really found out that they had a, they were sort of a new offering in their space. They were sort of challenging the existing norm or the standards that every other uh, competitor or alternative solution offered. So they had a deep need to be seen as credible and not to simplify it too much, but, you know, uh, your website, it, uh, as it relates to your website, generally, this is not the field of dreams. And I hope you've seen that movie, Dan. Um, but the, you haven't seen that movie. Okay. That's all right. Which is shocking. I meant to see it b before the uh, field of dreams game. Yeah. I even got like the, so, um, 
for those that don't know, and for a little bit of background, huge White Sox fan right here. And the Chicago White Sox, obviously a big part of Field of Dreams and the original Field of Dreams game that was last August. Tim Anderson won it in a walk-off against the New York Yankees. I got two um, custom pint glasses that were from the game in honor of the game because it was just such an exciting event. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I sidetracked the whole thing with my uh, ranting about the White Sox because of no, course I no, did. you didn't. Um, well, the uh, famous statement from that movie is if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And in most circumstances, that is not true of your website. So if you have a, need to be found to sell things to be seen as credible whatever it is to accomplish something it is unlikely that just redesigning your website or just writing articles for your blog or whatever it is just publishing a podcast will get you the audience that you want now maybe you just want to have a really awesome looking website cool we can do that but In this particular organization's case, they had a need to be seen as a credible alternative, which they are. And then, in addition to being seen as credible, they had to positively impact their sales. So it's great if everyone thinks you're a good option for them to purchase from. It doesn't matter whether you're providing services, you're selling a product, whatever it is. But then you have to provide the right user experience, content, your calls to action, all of that stuff so that they will actually become a lead by whatever it is. And so in this organization's case, they asked for a website and it turned out that what they were really looking for largely would not be satisfied by a website. We ended up doing a lot of the weird stuff that Big Wide Sky does. You know, we did culture work, we aligned their organization around a shared vision of the future. And uh, we did change management and we did work on marketing. Still to this day, I think we're starting our third year with them. If I recall correctly, we have not built a new website. Of course, there have been changes to their website, but we haven't built one. And, you know, as it like to get back to your, your question about complexity, uh, or, or a big problem or whatever it is, you know, I come from a background, I spent about 10 years in direct response. And then before that, I did a lot of early enterprise level social media work and, and somewhat early online work, uh, sort of breaking new ground, doing what at the time was relatively innovative stuff. Uh, but after my 10 years in direct response, I was very accustomed to, well, if you want a website, we can sell you a website. You want an email, we can sell you an email. But there were plenty of times when somebody would ask for a website and we are thinking, well, a website's not going to solve your problem, but we can sell you a website. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a trusted partner for the organization you're talking to, then hopefully you can't have the conversation about, we don't really think that a website's going to solve your problems. Maybe it's a part of the solution, but it's not the whole thing. And so hopefully you can have that conversation. But there are also plenty of organizations that don't have that conversation with their prospects and their clients. And there are also plenty of clients who are convinced that they know what they need, right? Um, so 
it was very normal for me to, or it was more of my my frame of reference or whatever it was, my my way of seeing the world when I joined Big White Sky, that if you ask us for something, we're going to talk specifically about that thing. But what one of the things that Big White Sky does that does get us into these complex areas is, as I, I think I said, what's the deep human need or what's what's really driving this? And if we have organizations that we're talking to that are interested in exploring the unknown or, or answering those questions about the deep human need or the underlying motivations, it's entirely possible that they're going down one path. And then as a result of talking to us, they veer off onto something else, which with our model, with strategic foresight and the way that we approach things in most cases does direct our clients to a better place. But again, it often results in these conversations result in complex challenges, which might very well require complex solutions. Absolutely. I, I've, you know, during the course of the year that I've been here, I found that it's never just as simple as, oh, let's do A. It's, all right, we need to do uh, A1 through A34 in order to facilitate the problem of A that we might not get to until down the line. I, I, I come from a a background where a lot of the challenges come from just a timeline of you need to get this done now rather than asking the question, well, why are you getting this done? Yeah. You know, and I think that's something that big wide sky has asked its clients, uh, you know, even, even those that are very, very determined and have goals and come from different backgrounds where they're used to, person asks for a, they receive a, so, um, you know, I, I've always found that interesting where we're, we're a little different in that. Even if it takes a little longer, even if we're delivering other things that they didn't know that they needed, we're, we're going to solve a variety of problems. Um, Mm -hmm. speaking of that sort of level of problem solving is, is there any type of like example that you have that like, the, like, for example, for that client that needed a website, it, mm-hmm. anything in your background that helped facilitate their needs? Yes. So, well, I, before I answer the question, one thing I will say mm-hmm. is that organizations, if, if you're a solutions provider, organizations do not come to you to hear, uh, that's not your problem. This is your problem. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes a special person to be open to hearing that what they focused on, what they oriented on as being their problem, uh, maybe there's more to it, or maybe that's only a piece of it, or in certain cases they might be wrong, but often they're not, you know, these are entrepreneurs, business leaders, whatever that typically have a good sense of what's going on and what they need. They know their, their space very well. So, um, it can be complex for Big Wide Sky to diagnose the issue, but that's part of the reason that people come to us. And then as we go through a process, 
it's incumbent upon Big Wide Sky to ensure that we're reducing complexity and we're reducing drama and difficulty and all of that for our clients because while you know you don't you don't go to a solutions provider for them to just introduce new problems a an aspect of that is you don't pay someone you don't go to a solutions provider in order for them to make the project difficult on you so it's incumbent upon big white sky to again simplify things and do our best to diagnose what might very well be a complex issue and uh, prescribe what might be a complex solution, but deliver it in a as simple and as painless of a manner. So now to the question you asked, though, uh, you know, I, I would not say that this comes naturally to me or not that it, it did not come naturally to me earlier in my career, but, um, I ended up gravitating towards analytics in my career. And then, uh, probably because if you're doing analytics, you end up doing a lot of strategy, or if you're going to be a good strategist, you probably have to be pretty good at at least looking at the numbers, looking at data and trends and so on. Uh, you know, you might not be an Excel wizard or whatever it is, and that's probably okay in a lot of circumstances, but you need to be able to look at reports or look at research or whatever it is and really think critically about it. I just happen to be good with numbers and I was just very slightly technical. Um, so I spent a lot of time in analytics and was able to get a lot of reps in working on strategy. Now, I've probably developed more bad strategies than good strategies. You know, you, you win some, you lose some, I guess. But uh, as I've gone through this process, and in particular, as gone through that process of analyzing things and then coming up with strategies and then gotten more experience, in my time prior to Big Wide Sky, I was in increasingly... Uh, developing and expanding the scope of the things that I focused on and the complexity of the solutions or, or the, you know, really how grand I could think and then could deliver uh, on those potential solutions. But then I came to Big Wide Sky. And one of the things that I realized relatively quickly was uh, I come from a more concrete background. Like I said, direct response, you know, uh, we're going to send a, a direct mail piece to a hundred thousand people. And we know if it's acquisition, 0.1% of those are going to respond. And that's a great response rate. And if, and we're going to send a, a direct mail piece or a phone call or whatever it is to, uh, the house list, you know, the, the, the donors or the customers or whoever it is of that organization. And we're going to get a 2% response rate. We don't know for sure who's going to respond and we can do predictive analysis and uh, 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 predictive forecasting, I should say. Um, but we're not predicting the future, actually. We're projecting. Um, we're making a bet. And so coming from that background where we were really good with data and projections and whatnot, but never knowing exactly what was going to happen. Uh, you know, exactly who was going to respond. When I came to Big White Sky, I found that 
we could talk to a prospect or talk to a client and some of our colleagues would do a really good job sort of uh, stepping back and looking at all potential solutions. Like some of the ones that even to me when I came in were crazy. Like you know, almost nobody's ever going to think to do that. Um, and whereas I was just so much more narrowly focused, you know, that, that for in 80% of cases, like if we're looking at a bell curve here in the, you know, within one standard deviation, this is, these are predominantly the solutions and it's really, it's going to be rare that we're going to go two standard deviations, three, four out to the places where you might implement this type of solution, this channel, this, whatever it is once in your career. Um, so that just, those things did not hold a spot in my mind. And, uh, I, as it relates to my background, you know, I learned very quickly, as I said, to let some of these people who think bigger and think more broadly help to zero in on where, what is it that we're talking about? Like, are we talking about a website here? Or are we talking about a brand? Are we talking about positioning? Are we talking about culture in the organization? And then once they helped me narrow it down, then I was able to bring some of the analysis and strategy skills to say, oh, okay, if you're talking about that, then here are the qu types of questions I should ask. What's your goal? What are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to measure it? Do you think you might like these ideas? But I, I think that, I mean, I, I would be curious actually to, to hear, Dan, your perspective on uh, com coming from a background where somebody said, do this, you're going to do it. You're going to deliver. Somebody asked for A, you're going to deliver A. What has your experience been? Uh, complexity, uh, complex solutions, complex problems, uh, you know, big ideas that are sometimes crazy. What, what have you experienced? Uh, well, it, it's very interesting, and I'm very, very grateful. Uh, in, in a previous role, I was hired on as a writer, and the longer I stayed there, the more things sort of changed and shifted into sort of a data-driven analytics perspective. And at first, I pushed against that hard. I like they had to break me like a wild horse. Another Talladega Knights uh, reference. You know, we're just going to keep that going. All right. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I, I I really had to like learn and hone in on that um, because my only previous exposure uh, on any level was the website for my podcast that I had in college and a little after post-college. And that was only just showing me like, I, I was only caring about how many people were looking at any given episode or where in the world they were listening to, which by the way, huge in Malaysia. I like, I, I was big and, uh, also Kuala Lumpur, big in Kuala Lumpur. I hear, um, I hear Dan is big in Japan. <laughs> But um, yes, I, I, you know, getting to learn all of the ins and outs of Google Analytics and figuring out the more efficient ways of going about things and keywording and tags and all of these sort of ins and outs alongside, you know, Facebook business, Twitter business, uh, YouTube ads, these 
growing and emerging platforms for mm-hmm. content to better address solutions for the client that, you know, when the client initially created these websites for content, they were just like, all right, let's just shoot out articles. Let's shoot out videos. Let's shoot out podcasts. Well, like we're just, we're going rapid fire and that's fine. I can do that, but there are more efficient ways of going about things. And I, I kind of had to learn the hard way that, you know, there are like, if you have a bulk of content, mm-hmm. you can utilize that bulk of content more efficiently and it will help inform your creative path toward creating new content. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I, I, I asked you one question, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and yeah. uh, say, uh, no, ask you, sorry you referenced your, your podcast that you had in college and, you know, I've looked a little bit into this and I thought it was pretty cool when you, like, if you look on Twitter and you, you can say or not say what your podcast was, Dan, but if you look on Twitter for the podcast, there are tweets back in, I think it was 2015, if I recall correctly. Uh, Um, It goes back to 2011. Right. But I mean, like when you stopped, uh, there were tweets, many, many tweets, people mm-hmm. saying, this is the best podcast of its type. And I'm really sad and all that. And I'll tell you, Dan, um, you know, there were times, short times, but there were times when I had some influence in uh, uh, online uh, in certain channels. And I still never had anyone say those things about anything I produced. So that was, that was pretty impressive. And again, you know, for, for the audience, we can share or not share what your podcast was, but it was pretty cool to see. Yeah. That. I, I mean, the, all of our listeners know that I ran a Power Rangers based podcast, like a mm-hmm. Tokusatsu, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Metal Heroes, a lot of different Japanese superheroes and their American counterparts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, I got to interview a lot of cool actors and writers, producers, stunt people, all like all across the board. Um, I, I got invited to Hollywood movie premiere, which was pretty cool, but I, I didn't end up going because they didn't invite me until three weeks beforehand. And I'm like, I'm a newlywed. Don't have like, you want me to fly out to Los Angeles? Like there, there's a lot of logistical, like it's just not practical. Like to do that. You're just going to drive over to LA. Just, just take a short trip, short trip to LA, you know? Yeah. I, I, I have been to LA uh for the convention out there and it was pretty mm-hmm. fun. Pasadena is gorgeous. Yeah. Um got to meet a lot of cool people out there. I I got a post Oscars um like wrap up interview with a guy whose movie won an Oscar or was nominated for an Oscar, did not win the Oscar, uh in uh Boyhood. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. He played one of Patricia Arquette's husbands. I hope that you saw the movie before interviewing him. Oh, of course. Of course. We actually hunted down that this man also had a short lived country music career in the nineties that only lasted a year and a half. And Mm -hmm. we managed to track down the one CD that existed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like he, he had been in TV and movies and music and I, now he's a restaurant owner in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I've I've had a wide variety of sort of a a career, but I'm not the only one that has Mister. I was a Twitter star, an early yeah. adapter. I I was uh, I remember. <laughs> so I was on Twitter about a year or so after it launched. Um, mm-hmm. So I was in the grand scheme of things, I was an early adopter, but. Um, you know, there are plenty of people that were on before me. I think if I recall correctly, Twitter launched at South by Southwest. And so there were lots of very cool people that were on there before I was. Um, I mean, I can recall there's a story from Chris Saka, who is a famous uh, venture capitalist investor. He's been on Shark Tank a bunch, if I recall correctly, as like a, a guest shark or something. Um there's a story that he tells because I think he was an early investor in Twitter that he spent like a year or two convincing everybody to get on this platform that he had invested in. And um, sounds like his experience was like mine where, uh, I mean, I can remember my wife, my you know girlfriend, and then eventually fiance at the time was super nice about it, but I could tell she was screaming in her head, nerd, you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was early, uh, into Reddit. I don't even remember how I came upon it to be honest with you, but I swear that I must've joined within the first few months that that site was live. When, if you know the background of it, the founders of the company were spoofing again, they were faking accounts. And so, and then fake commenting and posting, you know, f- not fake commenting and posting. They were posting from those additional accounts to make it look like there was a lot more activity than there was, this totally went over my head uh, or, or just passed me by somehow. And uh, I, of course, as you can imagine, burned a lot of time there. I also, given my work, uh, you know, what I was doing in my career and whatnot, and the fact that at the time, which I can get into if it's relevant, uh, I moved overseas twice and lived in two different countries when I moved overseas. Um, so I, I just had a lot of time actually. Um, and I also at at this early on, I was not yet dating, you know, uh, not dating my wife or anything. So I was finding a lot of stuff on Twitter. I was also blogging. I taught myself how to, uh, build a website and whatnot. Um, and taught myself analytics before Google Analytics and all that stuff existed. So uh, I'd find stuff on on Reddit, and then I'd tweet like a hundred times a day, just all of the immature junk that I was finding on Reddit. And then I'd be tweeting and interacting as well on, you know, sort of business related stuff. Like it was marketing at the very least, um, whether it was really useful or not, who knows. But I was writing about and talking about. Uh, social media and whatnot. And, you know, I think it was 2008, if I recall correctly, could have been 2009. Uh, I was in the top 10 most followed accounts on Twitter at the time. Now, I think the most followers I ever had was a little bit under 8,000. Could have been, you know, I don't know, 7,800 or 7,900. I don't know. The exact number doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, I got up there, but at the same time that I was in the top 10 of most followed accounts, um, 
This was when Ashton Kutcher and the CNN break account, which was not started by CNN. It was started by somebody else. And then they supposedly bought the account from him, which you weren't supposed to do. That was against Twitter's TOS, but whatever. Um, They were in a race to get to the first million followers. So they're up there at number one and number two. And I'm down at number 10, a lot smaller. Um, And that didn't last very long, to be honest with you, because uh, I worked with some organizations at the time that like, uh, I won't say the name, but the largest software company in the world um, was my client. And uh, when the seventh version of their, let's say, operating system came out, they were uh, driving to get 77,777 Twitter followers, which was substantially larger than me. And so there was people are starting to pay attention to this and all that. But I'll tell you, despite or other than being early into this channel uh, and really mostly being a nerd, um, one of the ways that I got there was uh, I was really active, of course, but also I realized that every Twitter account, at least at the time, had an RSS feed. And uh, you could set up, there, there were free Twitter tools that anytime you posted a new blog post, if your RSS feed was plugged into this tool, it could tweet on your behalf. So I set up, I don't even know how many, it was like 20, maybe 30 Twitter accounts that had zero followers. And every single time <laughs> I tweeted, those accounts would use the RSS feed from my Twitter account and they would retweet me. Um, so for a period of about a year or so, I was also the most retweeted account on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, other people would retweet me and I had a ton of engagement and all that. Um, but now, you know, I think I have about half that number of followers. I pretty almost stopped using Twitter in about like most social media, actually, uh, personally, at least not for business, but personally in about 2012. And I bet you now my following is probably 99% bots. So I could tweet something and, you know, it's like just, you know, it, it's, uh, just yelling into the wind or, or I don't know what the phrase would be, but yes, there was one time I was <laughs> not even the king of the nerds. I was just one of the, one of the cool nerds. Actually, now that I think about it, I had a shirt from, I went to the first Twitter con. Yes. Twitter con. Um, and I got a shirt there and these people, uh, I don't remember what the t-shirt company was, but it's a, it's a well-known company now. Um, and, but they were small at the time and they had printed a bunch of shirts with quotes from tweets. And this one had stars. It was a black shirt. It had stars all over it. And it said in space, no one can hear you tweet, which if I recall correctly, is, uh, it, isn't that a line from, uh, is it, is it 2001, a space odyssey in, in space or is it alien? One of them in space, no one can hear you scream, I think is the quote. I would have to look it up. Um, and, uh, so I had this on and it was in 2010, 11, 12, something like that. I was wearing it, uh, on the street in Atlanta, coming back from lunch or something to, uh, the office where I was working. And I remember a, a couple of guys walking by just in the middle of the day and they're like, nerd, did you see his shirt? He's a nerd. 
<laughs> and, you know, uh, at that point, I was probably the 100,000th most followed account on Twitter. And I was still a nerd. I mean, and and like in the context of now, which today, the day of recording on February 10th is the NBA tread trade deadline where everyone is following Adrian Wojnarowski and mm -hmm. Sharania and like every guy who cares about sports and basketball they're so plugged into Twitter especially at mm -hmm. uh, you know just as a platform and now that seems ridiculous but back yeah. then I'm sure like that it it seems more reasonable to in in the in their minds that seemed right. like a reasonable way to react oh, yeah. but it it is so interesting like people like in our sort of area of expertise and profession are like going out on like social media and like writing or podcasting or creating graphics or videos or like i mean it, i I just, I, I can only compare it to like people in other like walks of life where like my wife doesn't tweet. She doesn't like use Facebook that much, like every once in a while, but not really. She doesn't like, she doesn't have a LinkedIn or anything of that. Like it, it it's just really interesting in yeah. comparison in like other fields and stuff like that. Like what, what social media is being used for. And oh yeah. I, I think we also explore uh, that in a certain context with, you know, our clients mm -hmm. because there are certain clients that are like, okay, um, you know, I, I use it for X, Y, and Z. Tell me how to use it for A, B, and C. Yep. And, you know, we, we walk them through the process and stuff like that. Uh, whereas other clients may already know A, B, and C, you know? Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, well, as you said, a, a lot has changed. Uh, and I will tell you, coming from the West Coast, uh, I was born in Idaho, lived in California for a while, and then until I graduated high school, spent most of the rest of my time in Washington State. Uh, I, even, I did my bachelor's and my MBA in Washington State, did my other master's in Portland. And then as I referenced, I lived uh, in Atlanta and I lived overseas, but having spent a lot of time on the West coast, mm -hmm. if you're really passionate about social media, uh, back then that is Twitter kind of really sucked when you wanted to watch, uh, any TV show that was big, you know, if you wanted to watch, gosh, I, I can't even think of one, uh, the bachelor or I don't know what, um, then, it, you know, for, for me at five o'clock, uh, West coast time, people are already tweeting about, Oh, can you believe he did this or whatever else? Uh, I've never watched the bachelor. So this was a terrible example. Um, but, and like, like breaking bad. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Um, and so now I'm super into social media. Like it's, I'm addicted to it. As you know, people are get addicted to this stuff. Um, and for a time, I definitely was. But now I have to avoid it <laughs> for a three-hour period, one or more nights a week. Now, if you want to watch the NFL or basketball, you know, NBA, as you're referencing, um, 
then that's great. It's all live, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you got to record the game because you have some obligation, then it's a different story. But it would be the same if you had to record Breaking Bad. But when I lived in Atlanta, it was actually awesome because <laughs> then I was in the time zone where things were happening. Um, and now being in St. Louis, well, you know, as you know, I don't watch TV now anyway, so I don't have to avoid anything. And despite being, I'm the president of Social Media Club St. Louis, and um, I don't really use social media personally. I'm a big advocate of it for business purposes, mm-hmm. nonprofits, you know, for profits. It doesn't really matter for organizations, causes, um, uh, community groups. Doesn't matter. But personally, I'm not on it, so. It, it wouldn't matter if I watch TV or not. If I want to catch up on The Bachelor, I can catch up on The Bachelor without it being ruined. Yeah. And especially this season of The Bachelor where like he's a former Mizzou football player. So St. Louis and M- the state of Missouri is just like highlighted on a level. Like I don't watch it either, but because I'm a, a Mizzou alum, I like by osmosis, suddenly people are like texting me about like the bachelor and I'm like, I don't know the bachelor. Mm-hmm. I promise. And then I look, you know, all of the headlines, former Mizzou star, now the bachelor. And I looked up his stats. He played like four games. Mm, yeah. Uh, like, like he was like a third string, uh, tight, end, like not even third, like probably fourth or fifth string tight end and like a fourth string defensive lineman, you know, you, just so he had a uniform. Do you, are, has someone actually asked you if you knew him? But they, they asked me if like, do you know who this person is okay. with like sh- showing a photo? Right. And I, I already know the story of like, right. Oh, yeah. this is, you know, this person clearly watches the bachelor. There's an ABC watermark in the corner. Right. I yeah. like, you're just showing me a screenshot. I'm like, yeah. that's Clayton Eckert. He, right. Yeah. He's the bachelor. He's a Mizzou, former Mizzou football player. So, uh, so that's a little bit better than I was envisioning uh because uh so i spent a month in brazil when i I graduated from high school and you know right after i graduated i went for a portion of the summer we had had an exchange student from brazil uh and i went and visited him and then the year before that we had had i had a number of friends that were exchange students from brazil so i had a basic uh, understanding of Portuguese. Some of my Portuguese, some conversational Portuguese was actually pretty good for a while. Uh, so I went down there. Um, and I recall being at a party or something like that. Um, and this guy came up to me and he said, you're an American. Yeah. He said, do you know, David Blaine? (laughs) (laughs) And one of the other Brazilians says to him, why would you think he knows David Blaine? And the, the first guy goes, well, I just thought I would ask. <laughs> well, you know, you, it's like Wayne Gretzky, right? You miss all the shots you don't take or whatever the quote is. Um, yeah, so, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. you might as well ask. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe the person does know that person. You know, yeah, you never know. Dan might know The Bachelor. I, I don't know The Bachelor. Like, yeah. I... 
I, I I had to look up his stats and then I saw a lot of sports people who also watch um, The Bachelor being like, people need to stop saying he was a star. He was not a star. He played right. four games. Yeah. But needless to say, uh, I, I'm I'm just really excited about getting to, you know, work with you on this show and stuff like that. Um, again, we miss Jeremy greatly, We mm-hmm. but we wish him all the luck and I'm 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 very thankful for everything uh, with it, it that comes out of human ears, and I'm excited for more. I'm excited for more stories because I feel like there are a ton of uh, additional stories that we haven't even gotten to, Eric. And I mm-hmm. know you and I can touch upon with our colleagues, and just yep. we're gonna have a good time uh, diving yep. into exploring some of the solutions that Big Wide Sky comes up with, but also. Um, you know, just having fun and getting to explore the culture and the experiences of the people behind Big Wide Sky. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I feel the same. I appreciate you having me here, being willing to talk with me, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if anyone has any questions or comments uh, about uh, human ears, they can hit me up at dan at bigwidesky.com. Until next time, folks, take care. Take care.